Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. What about a homecoming that we have in Christ? Can we just give it up to the Lord and to our team for serving so well this morning? Welcome to Connect Church. Grateful you are here. And especially those who are sitting in every nook and cranny in the room. Thank you, guys. I know some of y'all had to park a little far away. Uh, Today, we welcome as well uh, so many who are tied to our triumphant quartet group. And and I get the joy of preaching with you guys several times a year. And and thank you for coming to church today. We are so glad that you are here. And if you're visiting with us, what a joy it is to come together to make much of Jesus and to connect everyone we can to the life changing gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're visiting, we are so glad you are here. So um, just last year, I I turned 40 years old, and yesterday I became old. Let me tell you how, okay? Um, We went to the circus. Anybody go to the circus in town uh, this past week? Man, loved it. Loved the circus. Man, we are four rows back, and then all of a sudden they, they turn on all the sound stuff, And it was too loud for me. Listen, it hurt my ears. And so I'm sitting there four minutes in going, I can't make it. I can't can't sit here. And then I had that struggle. I'm not that old, right? Like, I just know I'm not that old. And so you know what I did? I got my daughter's cotton candy bag. And I ripped off plastic. And I put plastic in my ears. And then at intermission, I went to the the concession stand and upgraded to napkins. And I put them in my ear because it was just too loud. But I tell you what, man, it was so fun to be a part of that with our family. I just want to let you know, I'm just officially old. And my ears still hurt today. So you might sense a little bit of anger in my message. But I'm going to tell you this as well. Man, some really good news today. 84 days until Christmas. You know how many Sundays that is? 12 Sundays. Until Christmas. Isn't that good news? Isn't that just great? I mean, I love the Christmas songs and all that good stuff. And I say that as well to say before we start in our text that I am purposely skipping John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, that kind of begin this way uh, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling uh, among us. And here's the reason why because the Gospel of John often gets that kind of tag that it has no Christmas account or really doesn't talk much about the birth of Jesus. And yet on December 18th, the Sunday before Christmas, man, we're going to dive in there because I would make the argument that the deepest teaching on Christmas is found in John chapter 1, verse 14. So I just encourage you to stay tuned. Today, we continue our study in the Gospel of John. We, we transition from the deep waters that was the introduction of John, known as the, the prologue. And we continue in waters that still run deep in the life and the ministry of one whose calling it was to make ready the hearts of people for Jesus. Uh, there was a pretty incredible book that came out, The Life Millennium. The 100 most important events and people of the past 1,000 years. I didn't make it. But anyway, Robert Friedman, the author, reveals the criteria Life magazine uses to determine greatness. Uh, The person who tops the list, for example, is, is Thomas Edison. 
And his invention of the incandescent light bulb in 1879 changed the world. In fact, his effect on the world and his genius is still all around us today, even in this room. Here's what Life Magazine stated about Thomas Edison. It said, because of Edison and what he did, we're entering the third millennium bathed in light and not clothed in darkness. What, what an impact. What greatness. One pastor noted of this book that on this list of 100, there were 18 scientists 17 statesmen or politicians, 10 military conquerors, 10 inventors, 7 philosophers, 7 explorers, 7 writers, 5 artists, and 4 theologians. There were also 4 composers and 2 entertainers by the name of P.T. Barnum, talking about a circus, and Walt Disney. And what a list, and in this list of 100 people, then what an achievement that culture would view them in greatness. They had achieved greatness. But you know, it seems to me that Jesus uses a little bit different criteria to measure greatness. In fact, we find this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus would say this, Truly I tell you, among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than. And doesn't the suspense a little bit build here? I mean, is he talking about Peter? Maybe he's talking about there's no one greater than Paul who gives us much of the New Testament. I begin, and this is the way my mind goes when I study. I go, man, who are some people that I think are pretty great? How about O.D. McKee? You know what he invented? Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Is that his name in there? How about Mr. Swaggerty, best sausage around? Is that him? Did he make the list? And yet Jesus begins to tell us and fills in the blank with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so you know what my question becomes? What made him so great? Why is it that even on a day like today, uh, thousands of years later, we are still speaking his name and telling his story? Well, consider this. When it comes to John the Baptist, his work is mentioned in all four Gospels, which is quite a feat. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 2, and Luke chapter 3, verse 2, as well as in the very Gospel we're studying today, the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is one of the most important and underrated figures in the life of Jesus. By the way, and take special note, that is exactly how he wanted it to be. Underrated, under the radar, unnoticed, so that he could unapologetically point people to Jesus. And so that begs the question, what was the source of John the Baptist, his greatness? Well, we know this, that he's first mentioned in the Gospel of John in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself, watch this, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, notice this phrasing. There was a man. There was a man who was sent from God. The introduction of John the Baptist is very different. 
from the introduction of Jesus just a few verses earlier in the Gospel of John, which, by the way, Jesus' introduction is the introduction of all introductions in the Bible. In fact, we see a glimpse of this, that in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, the Word, was with God, and Jesus, the Word, was God. Pretty incredible introduction. But what we see in, in John chapter 1, verse 6, is a clear contrast. John the Baptist is introduced simply as a man sent from God. Hey, Jesus was the light... John was merely a witness to the light. Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist is sent by God. Hey, John was great, but Jesus is greater. John was great, but Jesus is greater. Now, let me clear some things up real quick for you about who John the Baptist was. Now, John the Baptist wasn't a Baptist, he was the Baptist, okay? Uh, so maybe if you're from the Methodist background, you're like, man, all those Southern Baptists, they always get the credit, right? That's not what we're talking about here. You see, John the Baptist was not about denomination and was not a denominational title. It had everything to do with the description of what he did and what he was known for, and that was baptizing. And we're going to speak more on that next week. Also, this is not the same. John the Baptist is not the same as the John who is writing the Gospel of John. They are different. And by the way, back to John the Baptist, if greatness can be found in a person's birth story, how they came to be, man, John the Baptist has got the market all tied up there. His dad, Zechariah, was a priest of God. And Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mama, was related to Mary. Jesus' mom. Yet we know this about her story. She was unable to have children. And so they prayed for the Lord to give them a child. And one day Zechariah was serving the Lord in the temple. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him with the good news that God had turned Elizabeth's barrenness into a baby. And the angel Gabriel said this in Luke chapter 1. And I picked just a few verses out of this text. That he, speaking of John the Baptist, will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be what? Great in the sight of the Lord. Later on, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And later on to make ready a people. The Bible says, prepared for the Lord. You know, it's pretty easy to see that John, even at the moment of his conception was born for a reason, with a purpose, and on a mission. Hey, can I say something real quick? That's not only true about John the Baptist's life, but that's true about your life as well. That statement is true about you. I get to thinking of passages that remind us of how God deals with his people, but also realizing that in Jesus, that you and I, we are, we are God's people. That you were born for a reason, with purpose, and on a mission. No matter how you are conceived, no matter the circumstances surrounding your coming to be, you were born for a reason, with purpose, and on a mission. Just like John the Baptist. We're reminded this of Jeremiah's story. God would say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. Man, that's a great part of, of Jeremiah's story, but that's also very much a part of your story. That God knows you. 
and that in Jesus he has set you apart. I'm reminded of this, perhaps one of my favorite of the Psalms, 139, 13 through 14. Watch this. David cries out to God, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, by the way, the tagline to your life is this, that you have been fearfully and you have been wonderfully made. These verses are not only true about King David, about John the Baptist, but they are true about you. But what made John great? Maybe there's just a little bit more to his greatness than him just being born. You see, John's mission was to serve, as we find in Luke chapter 1, as the forerunner to Jesus. You ready? John was the herald who would introduce the world to the hero of heaven, to the hero of history, and to the hero of all humanity. Jesus Christ. Johann Sebastian Bach. One of the greatest composers of classical music in all of history once said this, All of music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. He would end every bit of work he composed with three letters. S-D-G. S-D and G. You see, in Latin, that stood for solo, deo, gloria, which means this, to God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. You see, the music, the melody, the mission of John the Baptist's life was to one end, so that God alone would receive all glory through Jesus. And you know what I'm beginning to see? I'm beginning to glimpse greatness in the life of John. You see, solo deo gloria was the very life song, the fight song, the victory song of John the Baptist. But you see more into his story, like Jesus, John's birth was written about some 700 years before he came to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. The work and ministry of John is laid out as a voice of one calling. And here's his message. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You see, we find here the very, the very mission, the very purpose, the very reason behind John the Baptist's life. And I love the paraphrase out of Isaiah, verses 4 through 5, that one pastor noted. He said, so here's the, here's the mission, here's the work of John the Baptist. Build a road, knock down the hills, dig a tunnel if necessary, fill in the ditches, make the road straight, because it is going to be the highway for our king. And you know what? That's exactly what John does. Talk about a shovel-ready job. John the Baptist was born in the first century into a time and among a people desperate to hear from God. They were longing for their Savior, the Messiah, to come as God had promised them long ago. Life in Rome was crushing. People were suffering. Hope was dissipating. Faith was dwindling. And the people were hurting. And here John John the Baptist stands as a man sent from God who are in desperate need of God. If you're in Christ today, 
You are a man sent by God to people desperate for God. If you are a woman in Christ today, you are a woman sent from God to a people in desperate need of God. You see, it had been some 400 years at the time of John the Baptist's birth since God had raised up a prophet to speak his word to his people. 400 years of silence since the great Italian prophet Malachi. I'm kidding, his name is Malachi. He's Hebrew. Anyway, the great prophet Malachi would speak on behalf of God. Yet Malachi spoke of John the Baptist some 400 years as well. Isaiah was 700 years. Now, now Malachi is some 400 years before John the Baptist's birth. And he says this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 about John. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. And again in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord comes. You see, in John chapter 1, God would break his silence through a man by the name of John the Baptist. And you know what? That's pretty great. But a little strange, too. Because John the Baptist was a little odd. You ever just met somebody and go, they're a little odd, right? Just a little weird. You can point them out in the room. Anyway, no, they're just a little odd. John wasn't your blonde hair, blue-eye, American Jesus-type-looking fellow. In fact, from Scripture, you know what John looked like? John looked like he belonged in Walmart at 2 a.m. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, some of y'all going to Walmart at 2 a.m. looking like that. The altar will be open later. You just come and repent of that. But John would fit in well there. Here's a description of John the Baptist just simply from from Scripture in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. His appearance, his diet showed a deep poverty. Even the poor had a diet of, of fish and fig and barley loaves, but dried locusts dipped in wild honey. Now, that's poor. He dressed the part of a prophet, the the camel's hair, the uncomfortableness there, the the belt, coupled with the eating of locusts for protein and and honey to choke it down. By the way, very prophet-like. But despite his dress and his diet, John's message was resonating with the people. His popularity was growing, and people were exchanging the traditional religious experience with the priests and Jewish leaders for a message of repentance, turning from your sin and self to a message of repentance that John the Baptist was preaching. His popularity caught the attention of of religious leaders. And watch what it says here in John chapter 1, 19 through 23. Now this was John's testimony. John, the disciple, the apostle writes, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the promised one of God that he promised long ago. I mean, I, I'm not Jesus. It's not who I am. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Man, there's a lot of rumors swirling around. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Again, he says, 
No, it's not me. Now, you see, as we have read, and as is promised in Malachi, the religious leaders were not looking for Jesus, the Messiah. They were looking for the forerunner who was coming before Jesus, the Messiah, would come. And they wondered if John, was that Elijah to come? Was he the, the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, 18, they asked, that was to come? And John leaves no wiggle room. He was out. Man, I am, I am not. Although he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, as is said of him in Luke chapter 1, he was not Elijah. It was simply his job to make way and to make much of Jesus. Hey, you ready? Maybe I can just simplify your job down real quick as a believer. That your life and my life is to be lived to make way and to make much of Jesus in our hearts and our lives, and in the hearts and the lives of other people. Later on in John chapter 3, Jesus' popularity is now growing past that of John the Baptist. His disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, were arguing. And in verse 26 it says this, that they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Do you sense the jealousy a little bit? Do you sense that maybe God's blessing his ministry more than mine? And God's doing more in their life and he's mine. And all of a sudden, this is a big problem. Jesus is baptizing. His work and his ministry are growing. And John's is shrinking. People are beginning to bypass John and go straight to Jesus. And in chapter 3, John begins to share with them that this is how it was supposed to be. John uses the object lesson of a wedding and told them, Hey, you ready? Jesus is the groom, not me. I'm just the best man who gets to share in the joy of Jesus' day. Man, I'm just as... I'm just his best man. And then, in chapter 3, verse 30, then we begin to see the source of John's greatness. Hey, sure, greatness was part of the fact that his life and work was spoken of and prophesied about in the Old Testament. Sure, the whole barren to baby thing God did with his mom Elizabeth and Zechariah was cool. Camel hair outfit, locusts dipped in honey, low-carb diet thing was weird but endearing. But John summed up greatness in a single statement when he said, he, meaning Jesus, must become greater. And I must become less. Perhaps one of the greatest statements in all the Word of God. Some translations may read this way. He must Increase and I must decrease. Thus the greatness sourced in Jesus, discovered by John. Now we see chapter 3, verse 30, John's greatness and ours as well. John is saying to his followers, to his disciples, the world needs more of Jesus and less of me. And so I am going to point everyone I can to him. You see, greatness is never about us anyway. John the Baptist, his entire life and work, you ready? 
was for someone else. And now you're beginning to see where greatness is found. John the Baptist's entire life and his work was about somebody else. And that somebody is Jesus. This was a counterculture message then, and it is a counterculture message to this very day. The demand of our culture is I matter most. I must increase and you must decrease. My feelings, my truth, my desires are center stage. My life is about me, my happiness, my success, my dreams, my desires, my wants. Thus, our culture has given birth to a generation of spoiled, rotten brats who live in a perpetual state of temper tantrum as adults. This is not greatness, church. This is selfishness. This is not godly. Rather, it's godless. Selfishness never amounts to and never equals to greatness. But Anthony, if John the Baptist, if his greatness was sourced in Jesus and and he discovers greatness, I can't touch the greatness of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said it. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time when it comes to men. I can't can't replicate that. But listen to what Jesus said right after. Oh, and I forgot to put it in here. Let me just read it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, Jesus says, Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know what? Just talking about counterculture. Hey, when it comes to greatness, it is not a race to the top. It is a race to the bottom. And the bottom being the place where you and I come and say, He must become greater. And I must become less. To borrow from John the Baptist in John chapter 3, to use his illustration to where we see this played out the most perhaps is the marriage relationship. And listen, I know in the room there's married people, single people, people who are married and glad you're not, people who aren't married wish you were. Listen, I I know the whole gambit's here. But what an illustration John uses to talk about Jesus. And is there any more evident an area in a relationship where if we invert this formula that God that John gives us that, that, that there's more of me and less of Jesus, is there any more of an area in our lives practically that we can see the damaging effects of inverting that formula, that equation? Because you know what we find? That in the context of marriage, when me becomes greater and Jesus becomes less, we destroy everything we touch, including our marriage. When marriage becomes all about me, my feelings, my wants, my desires, and less about Jesus, his design for my marriage, and less about my spouse, the collateral damage is clear. That more of me and less of Jesus will destroy my marriage. And hear me, my kids. My kids. In fact, more of me and less of Jesus has the potential to destroy every relationship. Everything we touch. 
And so church, hey, listen, you ready? Don't settle for selfishness. Rather, grab hold of greatness through more of Jesus and less of me. And remember why John wrote his gospel. That these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Hear me, life is found when your life, the entirety of your life, desires and craves and longs and moves toward more of Jesus and less of me. Life is tough at times. Life is difficult. It is impossible. And we are quick to blame anybody and everybody else. And yet most of the time it's because there's more of me and less of Jesus. Anthony, how do I get there? How do I grab hold of such greatness? How do I, how do I see Jesus be more in my life and, and me be less? I'm going to give you four such simple steps that you know them, but here's the deal. You may know them, but do you practice them? How do we get there? You ready? Number one, to have more of Jesus and less of me, we must spend greater amount of time with Jesus every day. Anthony, that may be a point in almost every one of your messages, and yet you still don't do it. And still, I struggle. And do, well, wait, you work for Jesus. Oh, so do you. But you preach about him. And I'm going to tell you something about ministry. You can spend an entire week working for Jesus and never spend one moment with him. Greater amount of time with Jesus. He said, you ready? It's this idea. Man, work Jesus into your schedule. But let me give you a better thing. You ready? Work your schedule around Jesus every day. Here's the second way we get there. More Jesus and less of me. Greater concentration on his word. Man, if you hear that all the time, and yet we still have no place for it in our life. Hear me. For Jesus to become greater and you become less, you must concentrate on his word each and every day. Here's another daily step we could take, and that is this, to have a greater focus on serving others. The entire life and work of John was about somebody else. Maybe, just maybe, believer, your life needs to be about somebody else besides you. Maybe, just maybe, we need to focus, a greater focus on serving others. And here's the last thing. A greater attention to God's will for your life. You know what we're really good at? Putting God's name on everything and everybody, aren't we? Man, I'll, I'll tell you, speaking of marriage, you know what drives me crazy? To watch a man leave his wife and the next week find God's will for his life in another woman. How stupid does that sound? How crazy is that? And yet it happens all the time. Guys, listen to me. We must have a greater attention on God's will for your life. He must become greater, and I must become less. Incredible 
lessons from the life of John the Baptist. You know, in closing, in a recent book called Reunion, Bruxy Cavi wrote this, that the Victoria Cross, uh, this is the highest medal that you can receive in the Canadian Armed Forces. It's equal to uh, the Medal of Honor in the United States. These medals are awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. Thousands have been awarded to date, and more citations have been awarded for one single act of bravery. You see, it was in World War II where the first Victoria Cross was awarded to countrymen, Sergeant Major John Robert Osborne. You see, the Sergeant Major and his men were cut off from their battalion. They were under heavy attack. When the enemy came close enough, when they moved in, the Canadian soldiers were subjected to a constant, consistent, concentrated barrage of grenades. Several times, Osborne protected his men by picking up live grenades and throwing them back at the enemy. But eventually, one of those grenades landed in a place, in a position where there just wasn't enough time to pick it up and to throw it back. With only a split second to decide, Osborne shouted out a warning, Grenade! And he threw himself on top of it. It exploded, killing him instantly, and the rest of his company survived the battle because of Osborne's self, selflessness and his othered centeredness. Many more, and thousands of Victoria Crosses have been awarded to soldiers who have followed Osborne's example who would dive on a grenade and to give their life for others. I think of the ministry of John the Baptist. I think of the life in his word. And you know what? In a sense, you know what John the Baptist did? He jumped on a grenade for Jesus. In a sense, John the Baptist was willing to give his life and die to self so that Jesus could be the light of life, not only for those around him, but you ready? John, jump on the grenade so that Jesus could be your light of life. John the Baptist was a good soldier of the gospel. His life and his work were great. He grabbed hold of greatness because he grabbed hold of Jesus and knew this. He must become greater. And I must become less. Whether it's John the Baptist or Sergeant Major Osborne, it's amazing what the love of friends will do. Motivate a soldier to jump on a grenade and sacrifice his life for his friends. Can I tell you the gospel that John the Baptist pointed to was that Jesus was coming and Jesus, not just in a sense, but in reality, jumped on the grave that was the cross where the wrath of God was focused. And he didn't do that just for his friends. The message of the gospel is that he did it even for his enemies. 
For those of us by our evil behavior, the scripture tells us, set ourselves up as enemies of God. And yet Jesus would throw his life down on the grenade that was the cross. He would die for John the Baptist, for Sergeant Major Osborne, for Johann Sebastian Bach, and for you and for me. You see, John was great, and what he did was great. But his entire life and work pointed to someone who was greater. Church, go ahead. Search the world. Try to find greatness. Try to find greatness in in popularity and prestige. Try to find greatness in wealth and in fame. Hey, try to find greatness in your next relationship. Try to find greatness in your profession and your career. And you know what? You may see and do great things, but I want you to hear me. If you search and you try to find greatness in anybody other than Jesus, you will always be left with anything but greatness. You'll be left wanting and lacking and desiring more. Don't settle for selfishness. Grab hold of greatness that only Jesus can give. He must become greater. Man, I've got to become less. More of Jesus. A whole lot less of me. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, our team's going to come and they're going to lead us in in just a chorus or two of a song. And and then we're going to baptize. Oh man, I'm so excited about about baptism. Hey, and then we're going to send off some of our very own to another church in our community to work with students. I can't wait. So if you already have reservations at Shoney's and their, and their Brevix Buffet, go ahead and leave because we've got a few more minutes left. But can I just say this? Are you getting tired of you yet? <laughs> are, you, are you tired yet of you becoming greater and Jesus becoming less? If you answer, no, no, I really am not, probably your wife is then. (laughs) Probably your husband is. Hey, probably your kids are. Hey, probably the people you work with or go to school with, man, they're getting pretty tired of more of you and less of Jesus. And so let me ask you just a simple question. As we're going to sing in a moment, just thank him for how good he's been. Where in your life have you inverted this formula of greatness that John gives us. Where in your life has Jesus become less and you've become more? I don't have to talk talk a whole lot more about that because you know what? I've asked myself this question and I've answered it a hundred times this week and so I don't have to convince you of those areas. You know those areas. And so in just a moment, why not confess those areas to Jesus? Hey, in my marriage, It's been more about me and less about Jesus and my spouse. Forgive me. Hey, in my parenting, it's been more about me and less about Jesus. God, would you forgive me and help me to be a a dad, a mom that that loves him more, that Jesus is greater and I'm less. Hey, in my work, 
my schooling, my education. Man, it's been all about me. Less about Jesus. God, forgive me. And here in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And we're just going to thank Him. We're just going to thank Jesus for being greater. And praise God, graceful with us. And my prayer is, is that every believer in the house, that the very prayer on your heart today would be, more of you, Jesus, and less of me. Hey, don't you leave. Don't you leave. Believer, more of you and less of Jesus. <laughs> don't you do it. May your prayer today be, he must become greater. I must become less. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.